I was making 32 grand a year. And I went in for my review and I got a 3% raise. And my boss said to me, he said, you know, everybody else is getting nothing. So you should kind of feel happy about that. This is the career I've been working for for 10 years. And I knew at that moment, I will always struggle. So there have been many turning points and twists and turns and pivots. But that was the one where I said, I need to run a business and go out on my own and not depend on somebody else for it. Hey, Feasters, and welcome to episode six of season three of Live in the Feast. I'm super excited to be bringing this conversation with Vincent Puglisi, founder of Freelance Tribe and Business of Photography Academy to you today. I've known Vincent for a few years and, well, he lived in the town next to me or he grew up in the town next to me and now lives a little further towards the Midwest. <laughs> but I, like I said, he I've known him for a few years and in today's episode, he talks about being lost and getting into big trouble with the law and on the heels of that, feeling stuck as a top world-class award-winning photographer and how he's achieved the independent lifestyle he has today. If you're new to the show, I'm Jason and Live in the Feast is a podcast for freelancers like you looking to build a profitable freelance business by getting recurring revenue and living the kind of life that you want. If you aren't new to the show and you do enjoy what we're doing here, I would love for you to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review and hit that subscribe button so that you can get notified as soon as another episode drops. Vincent has always had that independent mindset. He's a smart guy who has tremendous focus and with a family to support, he decided to up and leave the security of his job to run his own photography business in 2007, right before the economy here in the U.S. collapsed. In this episode, you'll hear how Vincent paid down his family's debt to a point where he made his job irrelevant. He focused on intentionally getting his finances in order. He said something in this episode that still resonates with me and what I stand for with my own business. He said, not taking a job for the money is good for your soul. There's just so many value bombs in this episode, so let me stop blabbering on here and let's get into this. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing, and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit chats and our slack community you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design if you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise then join feast head over to feastcourse.com today
Hey, hey, Feasters. Today's featured guest is Vincent Paglisi. Welcome, Vin. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate this. Always awesome to connect with, like I said before the call, fellow New Yorkers over the web. It's, it's you know, especially when you're not in New York. I mean, that's always so cool. So Vin is a husband, father, an award-winning photographer, a criminal and author. Former. Former criminal. We'll dive all into these things, I'm sure. But he wrote a book called Freelance to Freedom. And today he helps other folks who are serious about building a side business and getting the freedom that comes with all of that hard work. Then I'm sure I didn't do justice for that intro. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about who you are and why you do what you do. No, that's great. It depends on the day. But the thing that's consistent is being a husband. Uh, tomorrow is our Elizabeth and our, our 16th anniversary. And awesome. we have three boys that we homeschool. They're 12, 10, and 6. They love dirt and bugs, and they challenge us every day. It's wonderful. And uh, in terms of the work, it depends on the day. I am a photographer. I am a coach. I lead a platform helping other entrepreneurs, freelancers create a life of freedom. And uh, – published a book and there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes with it. So it's, it's an interesting and fun ride that we're on right now. Awesome. Yeah. Your, your sons are a little bit ahead of mine. My mine's one, he's going to be one and a half next month. And, uh, yeah, he has, he's not into the dirt and the bugs just yet. Just yet. You wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will be. Uh, so awesome. So I like to, to start, what is your defining moment in life so far? There honestly have been a few and I can say, it seems like every decade there's one. I'll be honest. If you pick the decade, I'll tell you which one it was. Um, but I, I, I think the one that would probably most resonate is after a long struggle of getting my career going, a, a, you know, the early part of my life where I was lost, where the criminal part came from, where I was arrested and just really going nowhere to starting my freelance career as a newspaper, as a photographer in New York, then getting going back to college, redeeming myself and getting a job at a newspaper, which is, you know, wasn't what I had planned on doing. I had always wanted the independent lifestyle. But when I went to school, I was kind of coerced into like, oh, get the job, get the safe job with security, the benefits and just the safety to it. So we did that and it went well. My wife and I both got jobs at the same newspaper in Indiana. And what happened was I we had elevated and I had won the top award you could win as, as a sports photographer. I was international sports mm. photographer of the year. And this was recognized as like, I was first place. The guy from the LA Times was second. This is in little old Evansville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And the guy, somebody in Sydney, Australia was third. This was, it's got, wow. got flown to DC to National Geographic for the award ceremony, blah, blah, blah. That comes with it. Elizabeth was pregnant with our first child. So this is 13 years ago and 13, 14 years ago. And, this was the time where I was supposed to get my raise. I was making 32 grand a year, right? And it was okay. Oh, you, have, you have the baby and these awards, everything you're doing. And I went in for my review and it's a two part moment because I went in for my review and I got a 3% raise. Oh, jeez! And my boss said to me, he said, you know, it's the top guy. <laughs> yeah. He said to me, you know, everybody else is getting nothing. So you should kind of feel happy about that. And I said, so no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, no matter how many awards I win, I just went silent. I was like, and I realized at that moment, I said, I walked to get out of the room and I said, it's over to myself. I said, I can't, this is the career I've been working for for 10 years. And I knew at that moment, I will always struggle. I will mm-hmm. always struggle if I do this. And I, I looked out in the newsroom, I saw all the struggle, but I never really got it. 
I saw the frustration and the complaints and the working the weekends and the nights and the holidays and never really getting out of that. And so I went home and I called my dad and I said, see if I could work with him. And he was back in Long Island, not far from you. And I used to work for him when I was younger uh, to see if I could pick up some extra work because we have a baby on the way. See if I can make a little extra money just to pay for diapers and formula. Really sure, nothing right. beyond that. And that's pricey. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he told me no. <laughs> so now oh, even, even my dad is turning me down. But it was, there was a reason for it. And he said to me, you know, we had a really tough history beforehand, as you can imagine, with the way that I was. I barely graduated high school. I was such a pain, beyond a pain. And he said to me, well, you didn't like working for me the first time. I said, yeah, that's true. And I said, I basically just did it for money. And he said to me, he goes, listen, I've been trying to tell you something for years and you haven't listened. I hope you listen to me now. He said, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And it was the greatest thing that he had ever said or I had heard in my life because I, didn't, I was like, what do you mean? And now I'm listening, right? So many times right, my dad right. gave me advice and I didn't listen. Now I'm, I'm desperate enough now that I'm listening. I'm not so arrogant anymore. And <laughs> he said, you are settling. He's like, you're settling for security. And not often a parent will tell you that, right? A parent will often will be like, get a job with benefits. Get a <laughs> right. job for health insurance. He was saying, no, you are settling for $32,000 a year and health insurance, but you have a talent and a skill that you've developed that you could do weddings, you could do corporate work, you could do commercial, you can name the price. You get to decide your, he didn't say all this, but this is the way I perceived it. He said, you could, you could decide your hours. You could turn down the clients that you don't want to work with. You don't get to do any of that. And so you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And it changed my life. Because, and I think this is the turning point for so many freelancers. They have a skill, but they're not using it correctly. They're accepting something right. that they think is normal because maybe their mom said you shouldn't charge that much or that's a lot of money. Like just a graphic designer or a photographer or a writer, like your mom might not have ever paid for it. So that depend, that will determine what you're going to charge and not right. realizing your mom is not your audience, right? Yeah. True. My mom was not my audience. My mom wouldn't care. My mom loved me, but she would never pay the rates that I could command, right? But somebody else will. And you don't need that. As a freelancer, as Seth Godin would say, you don't need that many as a freelancer. Right. If you get the right clients, you don't need that many. So that, I've never forgotten that moment when he said that. So there have been many turning points and twists and turns and pivots, but that was the one where I said, I need to run a business and go out on my own and not depend on somebody else for it. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's a great story because, I mean, for me, I could resonate with that in two respects. One being expecting that, I don't know, that an employer is going to give you something and doesn't. And then the other side of that is I had a moment at which we had just gotten engaged, my wife and I, right? And <laughs> I was hitting a wall the second time going full-time building a business of my own. And I was like, I don't know what this wall is. Why am I not doing this? And this was before I specialized and niche down. And this was, you know, a number of years back. And I said there, I said, I guess I'm going to have to go get another job and sit at somebody else's desk. And she looked at me and she said, well, that's not what you want to do. I know that. And you're not going to be happy and we'll figure it out. And I was just like, Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. What, <laughs> what, what girl says that yeah. to a guy, right? Like, we just got engaged. Don't go get a job, right? So, well, you just you know, knew I right could, then that you married the right woman. 
Oh, a hundred percent. I knew that she was a keeper and that was essentially the, the kick in the butt that I needed too. Right. Like, I mean, if she's got the vote, vote of confidence in me, then I can do it too. Right. Like if I can do it, anybody can do it. And she's got the confidence in me in doing that. So that's awesome that your dad was like working with family. I couldn't even imagine what that is. I, I've heard the horror stories with that, but like, I mean, what w- would you have done? photography with him or something no 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 completely it, it, he, different. he was he was a draftsman in construction world i just ran prints for him it was it was menial labor it was not something that I, was a career it was just something to make a little bit of money to make that extra seven dollars an hour that i expected to get <laughs> and uh, that's the funniest part about it as i look back on it if they would have given me the 10 percent raise that i was praying for i would have kept the job i never would have done any of this i would have been making just enough to get by, I probably would have just increased our lifestyle and never felt that money. And I would have been, none of this would have happened, this life. So I'm so grateful for that 3% raise because it was low enough to make me to take action. And also my salary, so many people ask me, like, how'd you do it? Like, how do I do it? And my salary was so low that I had nothing to lose. I wasn't looking to replace a six-figure income. I was looking to replace a $32,000 a year income. A lot right. easier to do. So when Elizabeth left her job to be home with Andrew, we decided I am going to, we are going to live off of my salary as tight as that might be. And we are going to pay off all of our debt with the business money that we're starting because we knew if we can get rid of the debt and it almost like a convergence of like, okay, build up the business. If it's a thousand dollars a month, $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month, every bit of that money pays down the debt. So the, the debt starts going down, the income starts going up. There's going to come a point where the debt's gone or close to gone and the income has exceeded that. And at that point, my job is irrelevant. It's not needed anymore. And that's exactly what happened. So I kept the job while we built the side business, but intentionally got our finances together. And that's what I think a lot of people don't do. They start the business, but then they reinvest in equipment or they buy another car or they go on a vacation. They go, why am I burning the candle at both ends, but nothing seems to be happening because there wasn't an intention with that money to get yourself free to then be able to quit. Because when we quit, we paid off our house. So we quit 2007 right before the economy collapsed. Right, yeah. And we were kind of like, whatever. It wasn't a big deal. (laughs) We had the entire year of bookings for the next year booked. We had a big emergency fund. We had no debt. Everybody else panicked. We were like, Okay, nobody, I mean, literally the phone stopped ringing, emails, soon as I think it was Goldman Sachs when, when the first day in September, we didn't get an inquiry for four months. We just said, okay, no biggie. We're going to just kind of tighten it up a little bit. We'll go play with the kids a little bit more. Everybody flipped out. We were like, eh. and then we just, what we actually did was we raised our prices because so many photographers were struggling. We said, this is the chance to really, it's kind of like, you know, when, when stocks are down, that's the time to buy. That's when we increased our prices. So we, be, we went from just average price photographers. By the time the recession was over, we were the most expensive one in town because we righted the storm because we didn't need the money. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what took us off. So it was like getting your money together before you need to get your money together is so important and so many people don't do it. Mm, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that yeah I... I am the spender in our family and my wife is not. She's the saver. She's got the envelope system. You know, she does that old school kind of thing. And it's always great to know that like, she's like, like we're going away for a weekend and that's already paid for. 
and it and it's done right and like the only debt that we have is our mortgage which you know we just moved into our house and all that stuff but we're paying that down we're not just paying whatever they want monthly we're paying the monthly and then on on top of that to pay that down and you know that's just it's it's something that i've had to wrap my head around a little bit better i've started doing the profit first mm-hmm. You know, methodology and that kind of thing. And, and that's been eye opening for me just to be able to see that. And it's definitely something that I've advocated for, especially in freelancing. I mean, you're as a New Yorker, you know, it's not cheap to live here. That's why I don't live there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. That's why everybody tells me to move. But, you know, it is like I'm never going anywhere because my wife is never going anywhere like her family she's very rooted here and that's it and it's fine i love new york i love being here anytime i've traveled like for work it's not for me elsewhere and so it so i have to make sure i know what's going on with the money and understand where that money is going to and try to be on top of that as much as i can and and that's it's it i love that analogy where you, you say be on top of the money first before you need the money. And it sounds right. so materialistic, but it's not. It's freedom. It's when you don't have to take a job because of the money, it's good for your soul. I really believe that. I really believe when I turn down clients because it's not the right fit, there was the time that we need to take the work, right? I need the job. I need the money. When, well, not that we're wealthy, but when your debt's paid for and you have more than enough coming in, it's very easy to, to turn down in our case, the wedding world, the bridezillas of the world, right? Like I literally remember the moment where it hit me. I was in a meeting at Starbucks, meeting with this bride who was the bridezilla. She would have been on the TV show, right? <laughs> and she's telling me everything she wants and what she, this and this. And I'm looking at her thinking, no way in the world am I working with you. A smile. And, and I'm seeing the fiance slinking down in his chair. Like she doesn't even address him. She's, she's, the mom is just looking at me, wondering what my my you know how I'm going to give in to her because I don't think she's ever heard no in her life. I was being honest, and mm-hmm. I'm giving her suggestions. She's like, "I don't want that. I want this way." Blah blah blah. And I finally sat back and I said, "We are not for you." And she said, "What?" Like she had never heard no before. I said, "We're not for you. I will refer you to people. I have friends that would be perfect. They do exactly what you're talking about. It's just not us." And she was stunned. And I walked out of there and I felt so light. I was like, "Yes." <laughs> It's like, oh, because I know two years ago, I'd be like, okay, that's $4,000, $5,000. Like, oh my goodness, I can't. But the beautiful thing about it, I turned her down. It felt a little weird because like, I'd be walking out of here with a big check right now. And two weeks later, this, this girl named Julie contacted us, really sweet girl, had a meeting with her, booked her instantly. Great, such a nice couple, still friends to today. They booked us for that same exact date. It was a portfolio wedding, like literally like one of the, our lead weddings that other people can see. Great couple. And I was like, oh, such validation that we didn't give in for the money. But right. if we needed it, I would not have done that with that original bride. I would have taken it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's saying no was one of the biggest revelations that I had in my business too way early on. It was just say no. If it's not a right fit, trust your gut. Yep. I mean, that's more of a gut thing. I I get asked that all the time. How do you know when a project's not right? Over the years, I've learned if I, inside my feeling, if if I need the money, that's a problem because I ignore the gut. And experience brings intuition. I really believe that. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, how is it transitioning from international sports photographer of the world to bridezillas? 
right? Like, I mean, is there, was there a, a deciding factor to say, okay, I'm moving away from sports to this niche now, or? The thing is, I don't believe there it's an either or, right? And, and I think a lot of people thought, oh, you're, you're killing this. Like, no, I was like, well, there's a way I can still do that. There's a way I could still, like, I can freelance and build the connections and everything is about relationships and networking and connections. I believe every, so many freelancers, I don't know why it's not more of a priority and it's not, oh, reach out to somebody so you can get something. I know when you're reaching out to me to get something, you know, like I, I shoot NFL games, so I'll get an email from somebody who I haven't heard from in four years. Hey, you know, you need an assistant for the game Sunday. I'm like, yeah, but uh, I haven't heard from you in four years. There's a bunch of other people that I've been in touch with. So that's not the way to do it. It's building, maintaining relationships, helping other people. Like even like with you, it's like, it's like going, if you listen to the podcast, leave a review, right? You'll, I'm sure if somebody left you a review, you're going to know who it was. Mm-hmm. If, so, if you write a book and somebody leaves you a review, I know who they are. I know who sends me an email without an ask. And it's not a don't keep score like that. It sounds like it's but like, no, you you keep in touch with people for no expectation just because if something helps you, you help them back. And that reciprocity, it works. It comes back. So that's a whole thing where it's like you have to always be involved in other people's lives. You have to always be caring. Think about gifts that you can give. Think about things that can help other people. And when you build these relationships over time, you refer work to them. They refer work to you because as you build a freelance business, the more niche you can get, the better you're going to be, right? I, I believe that. So what, what we did was we did this on purpose. We built a documentary wedding photography business. We knew the type of clients that we wanted. They were laid back. They were fun. They weren't the bridezillas. They didn't want pictures of an entire bridal party jumping at the same time on a bridge. Like they didn't want the things that are typical in wedding photography. They wanted real moments. So what we did was instead of taking everybody, we built this business. And whenever the clients came in that weren't our right fit, we had 10 other photographers that were the right fit to send them to immediately. So we didn't sell for the money and we built a network of giving to them. And guess what happens? I never asked. But when they found people that really wanted a documentary style, photojournalism, they said, you know what? You should really go to Vincent and Elizabeth. They do this exactly. It's who you want. And we built a symbiotic relationship that way. It was never like, oh, I'm going to give to get. It's like you do that first and you never expect anything. And so many people expect first. And, you know, desperation smells. You could see it. You can tell mm-hmm. when somebody's looking for something. And just not, and, and the freelance world is a small world. Depending on no matter what you're in, people know. And the sooner you can become a giver and think about somebody else first and your business second, your business is actually going to thrive from that. But I think that's a hard thing to get people to really buy into. Mm. So where were you when we were looking for a photographer? What year did you (laughs) get married? (laughs) Because that's kind of like both me and my wife are not center of attention Mm -hmm. people. We much rather have had like, you know, we, we had one photographer and then a side photographer and we loved all the side photography much better than the main photography because it was candid yep. moments. And that's what I, I was like, that's what I want. I want a wedding album to be well, candid. It's timeless. Candid you, what, the way we right. always said is we want your grandkids to love the pictures as opposed to like, mm. oh, you look at that filter that they used in 2008. How out of date is that in 2011? <laughs> or a certain style of posing, like even like now, it's like, everybody looks so miserable. 
Like, why do you have your brides? Like, why they look so forlorn? Like, I'm like, what? There's emotion. There's smiles. There's tears. There's mm-hmm. Richard Avedon did a did a wedding for a friend in like 1950s. I remember seeing the pictures. It's timeless. You know, I'm not sure 50s. I can't remember what exactly it was. 50 years later, it looks like it could have been shot by a great journalist today, and that's what we wanted to do. Something where when you look back 20 years from now, it's even better than it was when you. But that doesn't come with style and fashion. That comes with moments. And that's what we wanted to build. Right. So it was very easy to say, that's our niche. That's our target. Everything else is not for us. We need to find the people that that will be for instead of hoarding it all or just saying no. I mean, what a missed opportunity when somebody goes, I want portrait photographer for my wedding. I could be like, no, that's not us. I just didn't help a friend right there. That could have been my friend, David. Okay, David, this is, this is exactly what you do. And you build that, those, that spider web of relationships. It just, it flows. Mm. Yeah, that's man. We could have saved so much time. <laughs> We've done Long Island weddings. We did a few. We always love it out there. In the end, I mean, we had an awesome time. It was just, you know, it was just like I don't know. It was just seemed like a fight, fight and battle. The, the whole problem time. with wedding but, photography is like you, you, it's your first time. Usually, you don't know if everybody right. got married five times. First of all, the world would be a disaster. <laughs> but um, but at least you know how to choose a wedding photographer. You're like, no, I don't like, I don't like that. I like this. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So you talk about your three kids, you homeschool them, you play in the dirt, you you play with bugs. I mean, what, what it, obviously the family guy is coming through, right? Like, I mean, that's, is that ultimately the why you wanted to build this freedom from your own, for you, from your business? Absolutely. Yeah. It was something where when Andrew was three and Nolan was one and we were struggling and we were broke, we sat down and we said, what do we want life to look like in 10 years? And it was the most important conversation that Elizabeth and I probably had, one of the most. And we said, there was a bunch of things we figured out. We kind of got to know each other a little bit better. And we said, we want freedom. And what does that mean? It means we don't want to worry about money. It doesn't mean we want to own the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? It doesn't mean we want a yacht. It means we don't want to worry about money and we want to be able to give when we want to give and we want to be able to travel when we want to travel. We want to be able to turn down the work because at that point we were dealing with some doozies of clients. We want to be able to not work with those people. We want to be able to work with the ones that we really like working with and we want to be able to control our schedule and we want to be able to wake up every day and do what we want to do, whether it's go outside and play with our kids or work on something that we want. We just wanted freedom. And it didn't require nearly as much money as we thought it would once you get out of the American way of two car payments, a mortgage, a, you know, a second mortgage, a student loan, two student loans, credit card. That's what holds people back. When you ask people, mm-hmm. why do you go to work? I got to pay the bills. Like, well, what if you plan to have no debt and pay your, all your bills a year ahead of time? Would you still go to the same job? No way. <laughs> That's what everybody says. Right. Well, maybe getting the money together is more important than you realize because that will allow you to open up freedoms that you don't even know is possible. And we do work now that we never even imagined doing the past. I wouldn't know that I loved it until I had the freedom to think about it as opposed to somebody else saying, here's how you make money. Now we're creating money out of things that I never would have thought was possible, but it's because we have time freedom and I can have a couple hours on a walk where I could be like, oh my goodness, I never thought about that. But normally I would have been thinking about how am I going to make money to pay for the AT&T bill, you know, type of thing. So with, with money, freedom comes time, freedom comes mental freedom. And that's when the ideas really happen. I think a good point there is, is that it was 
it wasn't an overnight thing. No, it was like you said, 10 years, hard work just to be able to basically put the pedal to the floor in where, in the direction that you wanted to get yeah, to. And that didn't take, that was the 10 year plan, but that happened much sooner than 10 years. That was 10 years ago. This, you know, at that point, you know, it took a couple of years when you are focused on something. And especially like you talk about your wife, when you're on the same page, which is vital when you're married, because it's really great if you want to get your money together, but if she's a spender, good luck or vice versa, you know? Right. So to be on the same page and it's not about, oh, I want to sacrifice our lifestyle and you have to drive a junk car. It's about what do we want life to look like? And so we just came back from a three month road trip with our kids. We went out West, we took the whole winter and got away from Pittsburgh and we're in Arizona and California. That was a dream of ours. Wouldn't have happened if we just kind of did the normal. Right. So it's about pl- figuring out what the big picture is going to look like. It doesn't mean you're going to decide what kind of work you're going to do. Cause Jason, I can't even imagine you wouldn't zoom wasn't even available 10 years ago. You couldn't have said right. I'm going to do this or Zencast. It, w- it wasn't there, but you can decide what kind of life you want and then build your work around that life. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 10 years ago, I mean, I, I'm a web developer by trade. I always call myself a web developer. I, do maybe half web development nowadays, but it's really niched down on helping online businesses get more sales and get more repeat mm-hmm. sales, right? So there's a lot of marketing and email automation and personalization. That's the kind of the web development side of things, but really focused in on established online businesses. So if the weekend warrior decides that he wants to put up an e-commerce store, he comes to my desk, so to yep. speak, said, I have a referral I could offer offer you. You're not established, right? You don't have the traffic. You don't know the things that you don't yep. know yet, right? So um, just to be able to, like you said, have that freedom and flexibility to say no and then free up that time because that saying no has allowed me to do the podcasts, to build relationships outside of work client relationships, you know, and, you know, have, have connections like what we're doing right now just to be able to have exchange stories, right? Like I, I would have never thought about doing that. 10 no, years and you ago. have no idea what the runoff of that is. Like what, like, Oh, when I meet somebody, like, Oh, Jason's perfect for this. Right. And then I could refer somebody. You have no idea the spider web that happens when you build connections, but when you're stuck in your own way. And I honestly think it's this often cause I was there. So I could speak to this. It's when you are struggling with that stuff, you're not thinking about other people. You're thinking about yourself. Right. And when you're thinking about yourself, it's not attractive. Desperation is not attractive. I can tell when somebody is struggling, they're not thinking, oh, generally, how can I help other people? They're thinking, no, I get, I should do that, but you don't understand, my mortgage is due. So that doesn't, it's not generally the person that successful people are really gravitated towards. The successful mm-hmm. people are gravitated towards people that are generous and not desperate and that are helping other people. But when you really need it, you're not thinking about other people. At least I wasn't. And people that I come into contact, like, no, you don't get it. I, mean, I get what you're saying. It's a great theory, but I need to this. Like, well, you got to figure out first things first is figure out how to get that. So you're out of that mode so that you could be, because the more you do that and the more you connect worlds open up, it's, it's the compound mm-hmm. effect. So, so with your website and the masterminds that you run, is that where you're helping folks essentially unpack? Yeah. I, Challenge limiting beliefs. It's funny, Nate, who's in one of my groups, and this is why I've heard this a lot recently. It's almost like a tagline at this point. His dad passed away and he runs an auto body shop. 
and Nate took over the shop. It was two years ago. Well, he's miserable. So for the last while, we've been working with him and figuring these. So he's got his money together. He's paid off all his debt, but he's still miserable. He's sitting in front of this you know, cinder block wall, every call. You see him. And finally, I said, how much is your shop worth? He said, you know, maybe $200,000. So why don't you sell it? And he's like, well, what would I do? I said, what do you want to do? Because I've always wanted to do real estate. I've always, this and that. So we started talking about it. So I kind of said to him, I said, well, most people, when they quit their job, they don't get $200,000. You get to quit your job and make $200,000 and have a fresh start. You could probably think about what you want to do for a couple months and work on it. He put his shop up for sale that day. So now the shop is up for sale. He's taking a real estate course. He's connecting with people that we each know in the real estate world. And I finally said, what made you do it? And he said to me, nobody ever gave me permission. And I was like, oh my goodness. And then Suzanne, who's in the same group, is quitting her job on Tuesday. Her business is exploding. <laughs> she said the same thing. I've never had permission. I'm like, I, like, what do I do? I give people permission to think differently. And that's, it's, it's a real simple thing, but it's like, you've got to challenge what you think you already know. Because people that say, oh, I've tried everything. No, you haven't. Because if you had, you'd have the answer. So everybody's like, no, I've tried it all. No, you haven't. Because you haven't thought about that. Because he's sitting there with $200,000 of equity thinking, oh, I need, and he hates it. But what about yeah. if you took that money and you literally paid off your house and had cash as an emergency fund and did this, 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 and this with energy and passion? You're, you're ahead of 97% of the world at that point. Now you get to do what you want to do. And it doesn't require that much yeah. money at that point. Yeah. No, that's that. I mean, essentially, that's what your father did for you. Exactly. He gave me permission to think yeah. differently. And I think there's yeah. so much where we're tied down to, no, you have to do it this way. Or you need a mortgage. Or you need to go to college. Like, what a bunch of BS. No, you don't need to go to college. <laughs> you know, we're brainwashing our kids not to, even though we save the money. It's like, I, I would much rather them, and we're teaching them. Andrew's 12 and he's starting his first business. I would much rather, I'll be dead honest here, I'm going to make a lot of people angry. I would much rather them start a business at 18 years old, take any money we save for them, put it into the business, blow every dime of that trying to run the business, fail and flame out at 22 years old and go back into the workforce on graduation day with the rest of the graduates of the world. They will have such an advantage over every one of them because of not only the experience, but they won't even have the debt that all the, and the indoctrination that all the, all the students in school got by becoming a consumer. And, and they'll have so much more experience. So, but I also think they wouldn't fail in that way. So, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of trying to brainwash them in that direction. Yeah, that's, I mean, don't tell my wife, but this will be a, a hard conversation as TJ grows up because for me, I was a sophomore in college when the dot-com explosion happened in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. And I told my mom, I was like, look, I'm quitting college. I'm going out West and I'm going to make some money out there because I can make a website and not many people could do yep. that at that point. Right. And I lost that battle. She was like, no, you're going to get that piece of paper and this and that and the other. And I was just like, all right, whatever. And you know, it is what it is. And, but you know, I'm, I'm on the same mindset. Like, <laughs> There is not one thing that I learned in, in college that I use today, right? Like, I feel like you, if you have the experience of starting a business, like I've even been looking at schools that have entrepreneurship kind of tendencies, maybe courses and things like that in, in schools. Like I know Pat Flynn, he's, he does that for mm -hmm. his kids and, and that kind of thing. And that really intrigues me a lot. So, you know, like if I can steer him in that way. Pat, right? Pat and I talked about that and he's going that direction with the entrepreneurial world for kids. And I don't think you have as much to worry about. He's what, a year and a half? 
I, yeah, I'm thinking yeah. at that point, college is going to be a whole lot different than it is right now. I think you're going to you're going to have a lot of apartment buildings that used to be uh, school. Dorm because rooms. think of it this yeah. way: like this interview, if it's any, if if my content is worth anything, but you know, you have the brightest minds in the world putting out free content every day in real time. You've got Dave Ramsey and Pat Flynn and Seth Godin, brilliant minds. Do you really need to go and spend 150 grand to learn, no offense, from a professor that hasn't been out in the business world in 20 years when you have these people giving it to free just so they can get your email address possibly to maybe sell you something down the road, right? That like you don't right. have to buy. Like just, let's just be honest. They're giving you free content and, they're, and you could buy a course from somebody for $1,000. You could join a mastermind group. You could do something in real time. I, I think it's almost, unless you, there's certain professions, right? doctor there are certain things sure nurse but but in this world where it's becoming an entrepreneurial freelance world they say you know 50 percent of the population will be freelance in what eight years he's not going to learn that stuff at school and they don't teach you how to budget money they teach you how to spend money which is the opposite so so yeah yeah, i'm i I think my wife's on board with this it's not going to be hard sell but i think by the time tj goes to college i mean we'll be like what's college what was that what was that thing that people used to go to Yeah, I mean, my wife, she, you know, she's got a master's degree and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, we'll do the same thing. We'll have the money. We'll set it aside and do the right thing there. But I'm like, you know, he could use that money for so much better stuff to set him up rather than put him into debt. And I struggle with the money part too or saving for it, but I paid for my own stuff and it was really valuable for me to pay for it as opposed to getting it just handed to me. So we struggle with it, um, but we'll see. I think it's better to have it and then make the decision, then go there and be like, yeah, I'm not going to give him money because I don't have any money. Like that, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> sure. Well, this, this has been an awesome interview before, before I let you go. I mean, what does life look like today? I mean, before, before we hopped on, on the show, I mean, you kind of gave me a little bit of insight into the business academy, the business of photography academy that is coming out by the time this that you're listening to this audience, it'll probably just be launching or insight into launching. Um, and what does that look like? And is that kind of bringing you back to your your love of photography? It's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. It's something that I never wanted to teach photography. I, I, I did not want to teach f-stops and shutters. I, I didn't want to do that because everybody's got different styles, and it's who who am I to say my style? Because that's what I'd have to teach. I never wanted to do that. But I wound up teaching some photographers the business side. This is probably five or six years ago. And with great results, things were happening. And then I went away from that and I started doing these mastermind groups. I did masterminds for Larry Hagner from the Good Dad Project that ran them. They went really well. Sold them out. People were getting results. Started doing them on my own as well. And then when the book came out, then there was a whole lot more interest. So we've literally booked and sold out four, we have four mastermind groups now to where we have a community of people that are, I mean, in everything you can imagine, real estate agents, internet entrepreneurs, house cleaners, everything you can imagine, even a couple of photographers in there. But then I started getting questions within the last three months of like photography questions again for business. And it just hit me. I mean, it was one of those things where you say like, you have, you know, a couple hours just to kind of think. And I was like, oh my goodness, why am I not taking all this information? I mean, we're literally getting all these results with people like Nate, a business shop, you know, an auto business owner, all these different fields and the same results are happening with the same lessons. Why aren't I not funneling that towards the photography world? Like I know the, from the back of my hand for the last 23 years. So I sent just, I wrote up a copy, which was just so remedial. And I sent it to like five different people. I said, what do you think about this? And two people said, how do I sign up? 
I said, you serious? I'm not asking you to buy. I'm asking you what you think. <laughs> Two people. So I was like, okay, I think this is probably something. And every bit of feedback I've gotten has been the same thing. And so, yeah, so we are launching the Business of Photography Academy where it's not teaching photography, but it's teaching photographers, artists, how to run a business and create a life of time, money, and location freedom. Like, that's what it's about. So I can eventually see that even growing into creative, the business of creativity, because it's no different with videographers or bloggers or podcasters. It's, it's a creative outlet of entrepreneurship where so many artists struggle with the money and the business side because we're artists. We don't want to think about the business or the money. We want to do our art. But that usually leads to really good photographers doing really poorly with business. So that's kind of the next thing. Awesome. Cool. And, and playing with bugs and in the dirt right. and everything that's else. That's right. Too. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, so where can people reach out to you, Vin, and, and say thanks and, and even inquire if you're a photographer out there, inquire about the, yeah. the new. The website is the freelance tribe.com. Very simple. And we have a Facebook group that is a, it's a, it's a group for people thinking just this way called the freelance to freedom tribe. And that's, so if anybody wants to request into there, um, would be cool, but yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much where we're at. Awesome. Well, thanks for the chat, Ben. Thank I you so much. It's it. been an honor, pleasure. And it's so great to see you and connect with you. Yeah, definitely. Have a, have a good one. And everybody, it's your time to feast. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Thank you so much for listening today. I don't take it for granted that you take time out of your day to hear the conversations of Live in the Feast. If you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe. Leave Vincent and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as well, as it's going to help others find this episode. Next week, I'll be back with Matt Inglot, where he shares how his vision of owning a big agency and being that big boss man blew right up in his face and how he recovered from that. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Feast.